Okay, we are going to turn then to the reading of God's Word. And this morning, as Chris has alluded to, we are going to be in the sermon series that is in the book of Psalms. That one does not take place back to back. That takes place uh, on occasion. It comes and then it goes again. So it's an ongoing sermon series. We tend to put a psalm in between other series. And so as that ongoing series has progressed, we find ourselves at Psalm 26. So, uh, next week we'll be in another series, and as Advent is coming, that is the season that is up to, including Christmas, uh, we're going to be in the book of Isaiah. So, if you'd like to work ahead for next week, it's Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, reading through the end of chapter 53, which is 53, verse 12. So, that should line you up not only for today, but for next week. Let's turn then to the reading of God's Word. It is holy, it is inspired, and it is eternal. It's infallible, will not fall. Psalm 26, beginning at verse 1. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord. And try me, test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity Redeem me, and to be gracious to me, my foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. Here ends the reading of God's Word, and may it be a blessing to His people now and forevermore. So there are some big questions that we usually, if we don't bump into them, they come up out of us in the course of life. And they're simple questions like, who am I? Where am I going? How am I going to get there? Simple questions, right? You don't have to really ponder them very long, right? Wrong. Those are pretty fundamental ones, and they crop up all the time. Who am I? Maybe one with that one, where am I? And then where am I going? How am I going to get there? Okay, thus is the human journey. But also that just seems kind of like highbrow and philosophical. But it's, it, it is pretty practical. What we need to do to understand Psalm 26 here is to understand ourselves on a journey. Hopefully that isn't too difficult for us. Hopefully that's something that is evident every day, every week, every month, every year. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, and that continues. 
These are things that allow us to understand, I think, instinctively. I don't think we could reach any other conclusion other than we are on a journey. Birthdays come, birthdays go, Christmas comes, Christmas goes, Christmas comes again. But we're older. We don't want toys anymore. Now we want socks. Wrong. Nobody wants socks, but we start getting socks. When we get older, we're on a journey. That's part of the, that's part of the package. If we understand ourselves to be on a journey in this life and through this life, it does help us to have this in mind. Where am I going and how am I going to get there? So for Psalm 26, as we encounter it as those who are on a journey, we must also encounter it as those who understand that there is a destination for us and for everyone. Uh, Psalm 26 isn't just for believers. Psalm 26 isn't just for uh, Christians. It is for anyone and everyone. And at least the Christians, at least the believers will understand their destination. For those who wouldn't know God's word, for those who wouldn't know Psalm 26, they maybe wouldn't know, A, that there is a destination, B, what that destination is. Well, Psalm 26 will let them know. And it's couched nicely in the whole counsel of God's word from Genesis to Revelation, which will definitely let anybody know who would be privileged to know and then to understand God's word. So hopefully the church is starting to understand the thrust and the importance of our mission because there are those who will fall under the judgment of he who sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and who is coming to judge. That's everybody. We are having the cards tipped, as it were, in grace and in love, but also for a purpose. So for the Christian, for the believer, for the church, there is great assurance to be gained here, and we need that at every step, at least I do. But there's also a push. There's also a push to missions, okay? Um, if you're on a journey, you're moving. And as we look at Psalm 26, the psalmist David is, is moving. We notice him in the first verse. We notice him in the last verse, walking. We notice some who are in this psalm who are sitting, and that's the wicked. That's the evildoers. They're sitting, as it were. They've already arrived. In their minds, at least, they've already arrived at their destination. And he will not associate with them. He will not sit with them. He will not partake in their seated, set wickedness. He's on a journey. And that journey is going to continue. Okay? So we're going to see the journey. We're going to see the jet destination. And we're going to move at a pretty good clip. Um, partly because we do have uh, the destination and the journey before us as we observe the sacrament here in a few minutes. But just in case anybody was hearing this for the first time this morning, or if you did read ahead and you were just a little concerned, especially understanding that communion is before us, when you read verse 1, Vindicate me, O Lord, tracking so far, for I have walked in my integrity. And there might be a jarring disconnect right there. Oh dear, I have had the audacity, I have had the boldness to ask the Lord to vindicate me. I know I need vindication, but I have approached none other than the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty and asked for vindication. What gives me the audacity to do such a thing? And the next line, I have walked in my integrity. And you and I might think, oh dear, well, maybe David can say that, but if I know my Bible and if I know David, no, he hasn't. 
He committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he killed her husband. How do we call this integrity? And then we start to think a little bit self-servingly, or at least I do. Oh, <laughs> if David can put forward himself as someone who has walked in integrity, and he is an adulterer and a murderer, maybe I can get away with a few things myself and still put myself forward as somebody who can expect to be vindicated because it's, it's considered integrity. Now there is a disconnect if there wasn't one before. That can't be integrity. There's no way that's integrity. By the way, integrity, integrated, one. What's the opposite of integrity? Disintegrated, not one. And so where the Lord is one and where he's calling his people to himself to make them one by his spirit and by his only son, we need to understand what integrity means. First, let's go to David's words. Then we're going to put a picture in your minds that helps me anyhow. For I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. There's the integrity. I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I've never trusted in myself. I've never trusted in what I have done or have not done. When I didn't do something I was supposed to do, when I did do something I wasn't supposed to do, my faith was never in myself. It was always in the Lord. That's my integrity. It's him. He's always going to be holy. He's always going to be just. He's always going to be faithful. And I know myself to be vastly compromised in all of those categories every step of the way, every day. But I'm on this journey. He's the one to whom I appeal. He's the one to whom I am going. He's the one who I love. And that ought to be evident, not only in David's life, not only in this psalm, but in the life and in the journey of any who are on this journey and who know the Lord as he is. It's our comfort every step of the way. Sometimes our ankles do turn. Sometimes we do turn to the left or the right. It's true, but what does integrity look like? Looks like this. Our eyes are on the Lord. And if you look back over our whole lives, it's very evident that there is a pathway and it is integrated. It has a pole star. It is moving one direction. And when there's an aberration and when there's a misstep, it's corrected. And here's the picture that might help you understand this. I hope it does. If it doesn't, you can let this fall because this is, this is from Matt. But uh, I was in this room once, and very few of you were. And it was when this church was considering whether or not this fellow ought to occupy this pulpit on a regular basis here. And so it was a little bit of a secret trip because the church wasn't supposed to know who's coming. Another church wasn't supposed to know who's maybe being called away. And I looked out that window right there and I saw that ball field right there. And I saw on that ball field the same riding lawnmower that I had to mow my one quarter acre yard back in Florida. And I thought, wow, that's interesting because it's going to take a long time to mow a whole baseball field with that mower. And so I said, does that guy mow that whole baseball field with that mower? His name was Benny, by the way. I never did get to meet him. That's as close as I got to him. And they said, yeah, he mows that whole baseball field with that mower. I said, wow, that's astounding to me. And they said, and uh, the rest of the property as well. I said, with that mower? 
I said, yes. I'm like, does he ever stop? They said, no. <laughs> he just keeps mowing. Well, here's the thing. I once upon a time asked a, um, you guys know the folks with really nice lawns, right? And they're very particular about it. And so their lines are always really straight. That's where I'm going, by the way. <laughs> their lines are always really straight. And so I have a family member whose lines are always very straight. And it looks like a baseball field, like the professional kind. And they cross and they're right angles everywhere. Mine never looked like that, by the way. Like, how do you get those lines so straight? What GPS system are you using to get your lines so straight when you're cutting grass? He said, oh, well, I just do what my dad told, told me. I said, oh, well, what's that? You pick a point in the distance and you don't take your eyes off of it. And then you drive toward it. Yep. That's what it means to be on a journey. That's what it means to mow with integrity. That's what it means to go on this journey with integrity. You need to know where you're going. And you need to want to get there. And if you're David, you cannot wait. Your destination determines every step. If it's a misstep, it determines the next step to seek forgiveness and to turn from that way. When tempted to sit with those evildoers and with the wicked, the turning, the refusal to do so. So now, with integrity, let's go through the rest of this psalm. And kind of quick. So here we go. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and mind. Again, what confidence does this man have to put himself on trial and understanding that the, the, the judge is the Lord God Almighty, but this is where he puts himself. I don't want anybody else judging me. I'll accept nobody else's judgment. You judge me. Okay, test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I am moving. I am moving toward you. I know who I am. I am trusting in your mercy. I am trusting in your grace. I am trusting in your loving kindness, and I am continuing to keep you before my eyes, and I am continuing to walk, and I am walking toward you, and I understand that I am ever and always under your scrutiny, and that you can see into the depths of my heart, and I know what resides in the depths of my heart, and that is causing me to trust that your love is so great that it is okay for me to continue walking toward you with that which resides in me, and I know that something has to be done about it, and I know nothing can be done about it from my point of view, from my perspective from my work. I know that nothing in this earth can do it for me. I know it has to be you. And I'm either going to stand or fall based on your judgment. And I'm coming. I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you. Here come the wicked sitting down. I'm walking past them. They're saying, sit down with us. Be satisfied here. I cannot be. Even if I'm tempted to be, I cannot be. I know I will not be. And I will continue on this journey and I will continue toward you, Lord. Verse 6. I wash my hands in innocence. I understand I need to be clean. I understand I cannot approach you as I am. I understand a great change needs to take place. I understand you, Lord, will not change, cannot change, that you are forever eternally holy. And so this is particularly, potentially a path to destruction that I'm on, but I will have the satisfaction if I am going to be destroyed, that it is you. God, who will destroy me? 
because then I know it is just and I know it is perfectly done. But yet I am appealing for vindication. I am appealing for forgiveness. And how does this happen? I wash my hands in innocence. I am going to approach you. I am going to do what I can to acknowledge my sin before you. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to come in and say that I'm clean when I know that I'm dirty. That's not permissible. My own soul won't allow that because of the measure of integrity I have. Doesn't matter. That's the Lord's command to be clean, to approach him. And so there's at least an outward symbol of understanding we need to be cleansed. And so David clearly quickly, willingly does whatever is necessary to approach the Lord as clean as he can. And where is he going when he washes his hands? I go around your altar, O Lord. We're going to pause here for just a minute. I understand that I am under the judgment of God. I understand that the penalty for sin is death. I understand that I'm a sinner on a journey headed toward him. And so there needs to be something done about this sin. So if you could, in your minds, picture the altar. It appeared first in the tabernacle out there in the wilderness after Israel was redeemed, removed from, from Egypt. And then in the temple that Solomon built, front and center, the altar. And if you run all the way to Revelation, there it is. There's a lake of fire in front of the throne of God. The altar. What's the purpose of the altar? What happens on the altar? Why, oh, why would David, who has approached it on purpose, understanding that he's on trial, that he put himself on trial, knowing who the judge is, and David is doing what? I am going around your altar, O Lord, and I am proclaiming thanksgiving aloud. Hallelujah. As he walks around this flaming pit, in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, and he is praising him. Thank goodness you have done great things. And so we could recount the entire Old Testament. We could recount the New Testament, including the cross of Christ, that the Lord has done great things. This altar is important to him. Why? That's where sin is dealt with. And finally, Now, the altar that David is talking about was always burning, and every day, every morning, every night, another carcass is thrown on the altar to be incinerated, and that is the depiction of the sin of the people being taken care of by God so that they would live. This is God's faithfulness. This is his love. And it might seem gory because it is, and it might seem bloody because it is, but the purpose is that the people would be once again integrated, once again reunited with their God and he with them. That altar no longer burns. Why? Because there's one sacrifice that was made once and for all, acceptable to God the Father Almighty and powerful enough to provide the forgiveness of sins for any who would have faith in him. This is none other than Jesus. Jesus is not only the destination, he is also our journey currently. He is with us, he promised at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. 
And so David is going around and around the altar saying, thank you, you have dealt with my sin and I couldn't. And now here I am in your presence. But just in case I have somehow managed to make it in here and I don't belong here, I have a continuing prayer that goes along with my thanksgiving. Verse 8, oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. Okay. If I love the habitation of the Lord's house, if I love that place where the Lord is and where the Lord dwells, then that is the place where I want to be. So for the integrated person, where am I always going to be going? To that place. Where then am I ever going to be satisfied that is not that place? Nowhere. Not this earth, not anywhere on this earth. We have a vestige of it here. Here we are. We are the church gathered. We are in Jesus' name. We are an outpost. This is not our final home. And so if we love that place that is the dwelling place of the Lord, and if we would be where his glory dwells, verse 9, do not sweep away my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are the evil devices, whose right hands are full of bribes. Lord, please don't let me to have made it this far, only to find myself swept away. This is biblical language, the sweeping. For example, the flood in Genesis was to sweep the earth clear of evil, to sweep the earth clear of those evildoers. We sang earlier in this service from Psalm 43, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 43, whether you knew that or not. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. They will not sweep you away. David is saying, I'm here at your altar. I love you. I love your house. This is where I want to be, and I know that I, on my own, do not belong here. And so as you are trying me, as you are testing me, as I have asked for your, uh, your, oh, shoot, I just forgot the word. Guys, forget it. Your vindication. And as you will deal with the evildoer. You will deal with the wicked. You will sweep them in Revelation into that fire. Please, please don't sweep me away. I want to be here. I want to be with you. Do you want to be with me? Do you want me here? Oh, and the cross of Christ speaks loudly to all generations. Yes, I want you here but not as you are. I want you here holy and righteous, restored, integrated, not disintegrated, not double-tongued, not wavering in thought and mind and heart, not walking to the left and to the right. I want you with me, made like me, my child. And I will take it upon myself to pay your penalty. This is my love for you. This is my call to you. This extends beyond you, by the way. There are others as well. So if you would know not only your destination, but who it is that's walking on this journey with you. And if you would know how much he loves you and is yet calling to those who do not yet know him then you know somewhat further your purpose on this earth in a way that you can work with your heavenly Father to bring him joy, complete. So we end how? 
Verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. I'm taking another step. I'm putting the left foot in front of the right foot, and I'm going to do it again. I'm not stopping until I'm home. This is the call of home. We understand that call instinctively. And David knows where his home is, and he knows the way there. And he's not going to stop. He's going. And he trusts that the Lord will redeem him. He trusts that the Lord will be gracious to him, not just on this step, but the next, and the next, and the next, and then upon homecoming. And here is where we will end. And as we approach the table, we understand that we are there already and also not yet. For those of us who are Christians, we are found in Christ. Our life is in Him already, and that is an eternal life, and that is seated at the right hand of God. That's already in place. Yet, we're also here. And so this verse, verse 12, I think has a particular power for the church to understand who we are when there are floods and when there are fires and when there's political upheaval and when the future is uncertain, when there's pandemics. My foot stands on level ground. Christian, do you know this about yourself? If you are in Christ, your foot stands on level ground because it stands with Him. Period. You are upheld by Him, led by Him, guided by Him, accompanied by Him. He's there at the end. He's here now. Your foot stands on level ground. Church, let this world produce what it may. Your foot stands on level ground. The only level ground that there is belongs to you. It's yours. Stand there. Stand firm. Stand strong. And take another step, knowing that your foot will fall on level ground. Your path is secured already. Jesus' name is upon you. He is not going to be shamed to allow his church to fail, to turn to the left or to the right and with no recourse. He's bound up with his church. He's bound up with you, Christian. He will see this through for his name's sake. And you and I will benefit, of course, greatly. And heaven will erupt in eternal praise for what he has done and is doing in the life of his people. Understand the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. They won't. They can't. They aren't going to. There's never a fear of that. And so the journey is the destination. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. That's where we're going. And that's where we already are. In the great assembly, first of all, I'm there. I'm home. I wasn't swept away. I belong. I'm welcome. I'm accepted. I'm expected in the great assembly. And there are those who will be swept away. They won't be there. God will receive his glory and his due because they will be somewhere else. 
as they have rejected his son, as they have rejected his altar, as they have spurned his offer, they will find themselves treated as the sin that they still bear. And God will still get praise, glory, and honor for dealing with sin. His sin needs to be dealt with righteously and forever. But, oh, Christian, this is the privilege that we have now and will have forever in the great assembly standing. I will bless the Lord. Of course. Of course. It isn't my integrity that brought me here. It's his. It isn't my unfailing love. It's his. It isn't my stalwart determination. It's his. So may we know him as he presents himself in his word to us today. And the believers have their right assurance and also call anticipating the end of the journey. May those who do not yet know him as he is by his son, Jesus Christ, also revealed to us in his word and by his spirit, understand that here is the one who takes away the sins of the world. And apart from him, there is no removal of sin. There only remains the penalty. There only remains death and that eternal so as we approach the table, let us understand that it pleases God to set it as he has. It looks like rather simple fare, doesn't it? But it is that which is acceptable unto him and will sustain us not only now, but forever. So know the offer of the gospel, those of you who have not yet received it. And know what has been done for you and is being made of you for those of you who have. Pray with me. Father, I ask very simply that by your word and by your spirit, you are continuing to work our sanctification, that you are molding your people more and more day by day into the image of Christ, allowing us to take our steps on this journey in his footsteps I pray that you would keep us straight and you would not allow us to waver or go to the left or to the right and that we together would encourage one another with these things and unto good works, that work which you would call good, the salvation of sinners. In Jesus' name, Father, bless us on this mission as long as it lasts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.